We are live, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody wave at the live feed. Facebook Live, good evening, good evening, good evening. So, how is everybody tonight? We have COVID recoveries that are happening. We have Brandon and Sheriff back with us. We have Paige Russell back with us. Anybody else here recovered from COVID? Nobody else, okay. Of course, we've also had some COVID-related tragedies. Y'all been watching the, the flock notes and everything, so continue to pray for Deanna's family and uh, Ann Tinsley that we buried just the other day. So um, still, COVID is still, still wreaking havoc with, within, our, within our community. And uh, please remember to pray, continue to pray for Megan, uh, Deanna's other cousin. She is, uh, she's hanging in there. And where is Deanna, are you in here? Will you want to give a quick update while we're on, on the topic? You, yeah, you tell me that. They don't know how much, but um, just everybody's exhausted and worried, and I just I hope she stays stable so we can at least get through Joe's service and everything. But yeah, just keep praying for. We sure will. We sure will. So sorry. We really are. It's just, it's just overwhelming. I've been taught. I mean, Angie and I watch watch everything real close and. It just seems like this time around, it sure is hitting closer to home than it did last time. Would y'all would y'all agree to that? I mean, I mean, we had more cases in the church, but but the the deaths this time just seem way more than it was last year for for whatever reason. So we will continue to pray and hope that this ends soon. So, well, as you can see, the setup looks a little different tonight. Y'all notice that uh, my evil twin brother is not here. Who is my evil twin brother? Colton, yeah, I, I saw him this afternoon. He, uh, for those of you that don't know, we got a couple guests out there this evening. Um, uh, we have three uh, ordained men here. Myself, I'm the lead senior head pastor. Uh, Clayton, Clayton, as you know, is the uh, family discipleship pastor. And then Colton is uh, like an associate, more almost like an executive pastor. He kind of ha- helps us uh, manage more of the administrative side of the church with a with an emphasis on senior adults and counseling. And uh, he, uh, they had their third child. Uh, within the, within about a week ago, a little boy. So now they've got two girls and a boy. So that boy is in deep trouble, amen? Deep trouble. We'll be well protected. So, so yes, um, tonight I will do my very best to take us through Galatians without my assistant, who is always wonderful. I always love the thoughts that Colton comes up with. He loves doing this, loves studying scripture, and loves you. So, and I'll tell you what, we are one blessed church. Would you amen that? We just, we just are. We really are. And who loved Jeremy's uh, leading of worship this past Sunday? How wonderful was that? Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. Is his wife back there? Yeah, there. Yeah, y'all better clap. Jennifer's back there. So, and it was that Brooks. I, Brooks was standing up there. Did he sing? What did he do? Okay, he sang. Okay, that's great. That's great. I'm, sometimes I'm too nervous about what I'm going to preach about to take it all in. You know what I mean? Unless David Campbell's up there making goofy eyes at me, you know, while I'm up there playing guitar. He does that sometimes. Yeah, eating popcorn last time, yeah. All right, so the letter of Galatians tonight. How would you describe the letter of Galatians for those of you that managed to read it, got around to reading it? How would you describe it in one word? Jim, how would you describe it? Uh, Say it again. Faith. Faith, justification by faith. Okay, yes, faith, that's good. I just couldn't hear you, sorry. 
Anybody else, if you had a one-word description? There's Jeremy Miller. Y'all give it up for Jeremy. Hey. All right. <laughs> Come on, Jeremy. We're one big happy family. Now, you know if I was late for preaching, y'all would do the exact same thing to me, right? Sure you would, right? You'd return the gift. Um, Galatians... Oh, two words. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Jack. Christ and sacrifice. Okay? I like that. Galatians, I can remember the first time I read Galatians. And I could... Galatians just has this... This emotional weight. It, it's, when the, I just remember the first time I read it, I could tell by the opening couple of chapters that Paul was deeply worried about this church. Do y'all get that sense? And we know, we know we're not supposed to worry, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, whatever the spiritual version of worry would be for Paul when he lived, um, it just deeply concerned him that this church was straying away from, from faith and moving more into a, Jude, a Judaizing work. And uh, that, that's just, uh, I had one professor say, it, it, it's like you can almost sense the anxiety in Paul as he writes the letter. Um, just, just how he's just in such disbelief that he is having to write this letter and why, why these folks are straying away from the gospel. So I, I've always, that, that, that captured in my mind when Dr. Crutchley said that. All right, well, let's dig in. Uh, six chapters. Galatians. Uh, if you if you look into timeline type of type of things and when certain things are written, there is a large group of scholarship that believes that Galatians was the first letter that Paul wrote. Uh, as he was going on the missionary journeys, and then as he went on the journey, then he would pen letters to take back to the churches. And many believe Galatians is one of the first letter that he wrote. We don't know that for sure, but, but, it, but it certainly there is evidence that says that could be true. So, All right, well, let's get after it. The book. <clears throat> In this book, the Apostle Paul is struggling to preserve the, the purity of the gospel from those who would present another gospel, which is not another, but there be some, there be some meaning other people, that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of grace. That's the first chapter, verses 6 and 7. Uh, mine says, I am astonished. I've got the ESV. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Anybody, uh, I believe the King James says bewitched. Anybody have that, that tr uh, translation in their Bible? Yours says bewitched. Okay. So there's two or three different translations of that word. Um, we notice in chapter four, verse 13, I preached the gospel unto you the first time that he had visited Galatia twice before he wrote the gospel. The record in the book of Acts tells us that Paul first went to Galatia on his second missionary journey, that's in Acts 16.6, and that he paid a second visit there during the third missionary journey some three years later. Now, something that I would highly encourage you to do if you have not done it is to go back and read, read the, the, the missionary journeys in Acts and then try to imagine Paul writing those letters as you're reading through the missionary journey because the missionary journeys will give you the context in which the letters were written and it will help you have a much deeper understanding 
of exactly what Paul is, is going through, like in Thessalonica and Philippi and, and, and different places, okay? I mean, you, you really, if you're gonna be a, a, a well-rounded theologian, okay, and that's, that's our goal here at this church, is that, is that you understand the foundation of what you believe. We believe the gospel, we believe Jesus Christ is Messiah, we, we believe all those truths. But what is the context in which the gospel is brought? If we're really gonna understand exactly what gospel means and exactly the, the punch of the full gospel, you really have to understand the original context of, of, of how God brought it and why. And so all of this will help you do that in time. So the Galatians themselves were an emotional and intense people. They were a branch of the Gauls, original, originally that should be from the north, north of the Baltic Sea, if you wanna know who they are. J. Vernon McGee, who knows who he is? I knew some hands were going to come up. Now, were y'all alive when J. Vernon McGee was, was preaching, or y'all just read his books? Okay. All right, I was just curious, because he, he, when did he die? Because he, 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 he's been dead for a while, right? Nobody knows. Okay. Late 80s. Okay. Yeah, I, I had a commentary set from him years ago. J. Vernon McGee, he had a radio program, J. Vernon McGee did, and it was a nationwide radio program, and he went through the Bible expositionally, chapter by chapter, verse by verse for years. And so that's why a lot of people know him. Five years? Five years. So J. Vernon McGee, the book of Galatians is a stern, severe, solemn message. It does not correct conduct as the Corinthian letters do, but it is corrective. This is the only time in all of Paul's writings in which he does not express his thankfulness. Did y'all pick up on that when you read it? Nowhere in the letter does he thank him for anything. This is the only church of whom he does not ask of prayers. There is no word of commendation nor praise and there is no mention of their standing in Christ. No one with him is mentioned by name. Okay? The heart of Paul the apostle is laid bare. There is a deep emotion and strong feeling. This is Paul's fighting epistle. Galatians is the declaration of emancipation from legalism of any type. Now, just for argument's sake, what, what is legalism? You hear that term a lot. What is legalism? What is it? Anybody want to take a shot? Okay, right. It's, it's the idea, legalism is the idea that anything that we can do can merit favor with God, okay? The only thing that merits favor with God is who? Jesus, Okay. It is his sacrifice on Calvary's cross. It is the work that he did. It is his blood, period. And so we believe in him and we are justified through what he has done in our faith, okay? So legalism is any, any, any way that you try to take your faith into your own hands, okay? You know, the, I can come in here and sing songs and somehow that, that merits something with God. No, the only thing that merits anything with God is his son, Jesus Christ, that died on the cross. Yes, Chuck? Say that again now. Well, that's kind of that's kind of difficult because some people it's really in the mind of the believer more so than the church. Okay, so put it to you this: here, here would be an excellent form of legalism to believe that somehow the bylaws and the church constitution are supposed to be believed and followed more 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 deeply than the scripture. That would be a form of legalism. If you were to come into church and the order of worship was turned upside down and we'd never done it like that before and the order of worship was totally changed and you got all bent out of shape and couldn't worship because the order of worship was different, 
That's legalism. That means you probably have a touch of legalism. So it's not about my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about the order of worship. See what I'm saying? Y'all following that? That's legalism, okay? Your, your faith, your, your standing with God is based on one thing and one thing only. Your belief that the man that died on that cross 2,000 years ago was God, Jesus Christ, period. That's what saves you. That's what sustains you, all that, okay? All right, any other questions about legalism? Any other questions? Okay. Galatians is the declaration of emancipation from legalism of any type. This was Martin Luther's favorite epistle, and it was on the masthead of the Reformation. What was Martin Luther before the big Reformation happened? What was he? He was a Roman Catholic monk. He was a Roman Catholic monk, and just in case you didn't know this, it's critical that we as Protestants understand this, okay? He was a Roman Catholic monk that went to Rome, and when he went to Rome, he saw the priests selling something. Who remembers what they were? Indulgences. And the indulgence was a fee that a believer paid to have their loved one's soul released from purgatory to heaven, okay? There is absolutely no evidence for that anywhere in the scripture, anywhere. They try to spend the three days that that Jesus was unaccounted for from from his death to his resurrection, but there is nothing in scripture that says anything about purgatory, okay? So, so so, So Luther got completely convicted that that was completely wrong, saw the Roman Catholic Church was taking advantage of people and building this huge financial you know, business out of this. And, and his, his desire was never to leave the Roman Catholic Church. His desire was to correct the Roman Catholic Church. But as you know, the war that ensued uh, came out differently. Let's go Dick first, then you, Tony. Yeah, absolutely. No, no question about it. Yes. Right. 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 Yeah, and, and just, you know, just to give you a follow-up on that, uh, all of our lives, Angie, we come from the Mississippi Delta, and, I mean, the Baptist church was here and the Roman Catholic church right across the street. So we all, we all knew each other. And um, what, you, what you saw began to happen was, was in the Roman Catholic church, when the ministry began to die there, you would have some of the Catholics begin to come over for the children's ministries and things of that that we had. And you would also uh, come across couples that were blended. One would be Protestant, one would be Roman Catholic, and one would concede to the other and go to the other church. And I would have conversations with them. And that was one of the biggest eye-opening experiences that I tried to help one of them understand was that there's really, there's nothing wrong with confessing your sins to someone else. The Bible commands that. The issue is I don't have to confess to them for it to be forgiven by God. That's the difference. Right, only God can, exactly, yes. Right, and that's not supposed to do that. Yes, don't call him father. Mm -hmm. Looks like we need to have a Roman Catholic class here. Yeah, you could, you sure could. Well... Yeah, the, 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 I mean, if you go back and, and study the trajectory of how that happened, Roman Catholicism puts the authority in the church itself and not in the word of God. 
That, that's the argument that the Protestants made, was that we go to the word of God to derive our authority, but you go to man and tradition to derive your authority. Um, one last thing, then we'll move on. Uh, and I, I, I think I'm right about this. Don't quote me, don't quote me unless you look this up, but I believe that they see the Pope as, as apostolic secession from the apostles. In other words, the Pope is a living apostle with ex-cathedra authority, which means whatever he writes is considered divine scripture. Uh, we don't believe that. We believe the canon was what? The canon was closed after this, after this book was finished, right? The revelation says, do not add or take away a word from, from this book. So that's what we believe, all right? So let's move on, okay? We'll have another Roman Catholic se- session later on. It is the strongest declaration of defense of the doctrine of justification by faith in or out of Scripture. Now, if you don't know what justification by faith is, that is one of the the bedrock beliefs of of Protestantism, okay? And, And that means that we believe the legal responsibility for our sin, justification, okay, has been fulfilled by Christ's blood and by Christ's blood alone. There's nothing we can add to it. We can't contribute to it. That's it. So justification by faith alone for salvation. That's what that means. And that is critical that we understand that because if we don't don't understand that, then that means that we believe we contribute something to our salvation, right? If it's not by faith, if it's by works, that means that I can come up here and and vacuum the sanctuary and somehow be saved. Is that right? Not at all. No, no. Go ahead. Of course, of course, of course. Um, uh, And just to follow up on that, a lot of people criticize that saying uh, you know, you Baptists, you believe once saved, always saved. Well, it, it, we probably shouldn't be so flippant as to say it that way. But there's nothing wrong with that sentence, okay? We believe in something called eternal security of the believer. Okay? And that means that the, we believe the Bible teaches that if we truly believe and come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, and we are truly born again and saved, that is an irreversible process. So once you are truly saved, you are truly saved forever. Yes, Brandon. Well, one is the Bible says that God's gift is irrevocable. So him giving that gift of salvation, I mean, that's not something that's going to get mad and turn over. But even besides that, if we believe that we can lose our salvation based on something we can do, that makes the cross less and makes our actions more. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I, I heard uh, some, some Pentecostals uh, that believe you can lose your salvation, they'll say, so, so you don't believe that if I go out and sin and then I don't pray for forgiveness, if I die between the time I sin before I get to pray for forgiveness, I'm going to hell. And I'm like, who taught you that? No. Not at all. My, my salvation is not dependent upon my confession of sin. My, my salvation is dependent upon what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago, period. Now, I will bring discipline upon myself and I will grieve the spirit of my life and everything else the Bible teaches if I sin and don't confess it and don't repent of it. But I'm not gonna die and go to hell just because I sin and don't confess it. That's not true. Not in scripture. <laughs> that you don't know about <laughs> Being justified by faith, 
That's the only way. Because because Job asked God the question, how can a man be righteous before God? He can't be. Right. And it's only it's only through justification of faith that a man can be justified. Yeah. Y'all are live wires tonight. What, what, what is the deal? Y'all have not talked this much. It's because we got a guest in the crowd. That's what it is. That's what y'all are trying to come across like real serious theologians. All right, no, I'm, y'all don't get it. All right, so the central message, if, and we're not going to get through on time. Just let you know, that's, that's done. It's not going to happen. So uh, for free, I mean, we'll have to have another night of Galatians. So for freedom, the central message of this book, the freedom Christ has set us free Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, okay? Slavery, thinking, slavery is thinking in your mind that you can do something to be saved outside of faith in Christ. That's slavery. Because if you believe that, it's like this debate I had with this guy one time who uh, we were talking about giving to the church, and he said, and I asked him, so, so, so you don't think unbelievers give to the church? And he said, man, he said, are you crazy? Unbelievers don't give to the church. And I said, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that there are legalist unbelievers in the church that believe because they give, they're saved. I guarantee you they're out there, okay? Giving doesn't save you. Y'all do understand that, right? Giving doesn't save you, okay? Uh, giving is it's just you do it out of obedience and love for God, for the, fur, for the furtherance of his kingdom and to please him, not because you think it saves you. So the structure of the book, very simple, three, three, uh, three divisions. Introduction, uh, chapter one, verses one through 10. Personal, a testimony, chapter one and two. And then doctrinal is three and four. And then practical is five and six. Four, I'm sorry, not three. And the practical part in five and six, he doesn't hit that as deeply as the others, um, but it is a very, very practical letter for sure. All right, so introduction. Paul gives, I love the way Dr. Stringfellow says this. What does he give? A cool greeting. (laughs) Not much flowery talk in the greeting. Uh, He qualified his apostleship, which was not from men, that is not legalistic, nor was it by men, meaning that it was not ritualistic, but his apostleship was through Jesus Christ. Jesus called, excuse me, Jesus called him and set him apart for the office, and that's Acts 9, 15, and 16, and that is, that is Paul's call on the Damascus Road. Y'all remember that experience? He is viciously uh, attacking Christianity. He is trying to have them killed. Uh, he is trying to have them arrested. Uh, Damascus at that time was this, was this uh, major metropolis hub. And so kind of the, the thought, this is not in the scripture, but it's like the historian thought of why he was in such a hurry to get there would be comparable to today. If you, if you want to stop a virus, you don't want the virus to get to like a place like Atlanta or Memphis or somewhere like that because there's millions of people there. And if it gets there, where is it going to go? everywhere. So with Christianity, it was the same way. They wanted to stop him before, he, before the gospel got to Damascus and got spread all over the world. And so that's why he was pursuing the Christians as fast as he could to stop it. And then that was when God stopped him. Amen? Amen. Uh, the greeting here is very cool, brief, and formal. So you'll notice in verses 6 through 10, Paul states the subject. There's only one gospel, and Paul warns them not to listen to what is called another gospel. The Judaizers had sought to add the law to grace, faith plus law, in other words. The main reason why we know that is there's a confrontation in here uh, between Peter and Paul, uh, where Peter is in Antioch and the, uh, the Judaizers come up from the Jerusalem church, 
And normally Peter would fellowship with the Gentiles and he would eat with the Gentiles and he would fellowship with them. But when, but when, uh, when, when these Judaizers came up, Peter withdrew fellowship from the Gentiles and Paul saw that. And so what did Paul do? He, he, he confronted him. I mean, publicly in front of the whole assembly. And the whole reason why he did that, now it might not seem like a big deal to you, that may seem harsh, but if Paul is, is teaching a, a, um, a, a non-legal gospel or a, a gospel not according to the law but according to grace, and he's telling all these Gentiles that they don't have to be circumcised and adhere to the law for salvation, and Peter is saying that too, and Peter is eating with them, but then when his when his comrades from the Jerusalem church came up and he kind of tucks tail and runs away from them and they see that happen, what is Peter telling them? They are not good enough for him to do what? To fellowship with them. Now, now, so he's eating with them and fellowshipping with them and all of a sudden the Judaizers come up from Jerusalem and all of a sudden they're not good enough for him anymore. So he's basically a, a hypocrite right there in front of the whole church. And so that's why Paul confronts him immediately and harshly in front of everybody. Now, you know, contemporary church, oh, that's just terrible. I mean, we would, we would never, you know, do that, uh, you know, but, but back then it was, it was serious business and it needs to be serious business today. So Paul calls this a what? Yeah, say that word, perversion. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult word to say, perversion, but that's what it is. So when you first read these two chapters, you might get the idea that Paul is defending his apostleship. Paul is here providing his genuineness and the authority of the gospel which he preached. He had already told them in verse 1 that his apostleship was neither from men nor through men. And you will notice in verses 11 and 12 that what he preached came by direct revelation from the Lord Jesus. And after he had received this direct revelation and commission, he had conferred not with flesh and blood, meaning who was he talking to? Think now. God, but specifically who? Christ in his resurrected state. Okay, and that, that's, that takes a little while to get your mind around, okay? But Paul, I, I, I would make the case, I would argue for the case that Paul went to Arabia. I would follow, I believe it's, um, I believe it's F.F. Bruce says this, and several other scholars followed him back 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, that those three years that Paul spent in Arabia were comparable to the three years that the other 12 apostles spent with Christ in the flesh, okay? The major difference is, is that there's some revelation that Jesus gave to Paul that the other, that the, other the fishermen and the tax collectors did, did not get. And I believe that that is the, the, a deeper understanding of the promise of Abraham and how that is fulfilled in Jesus. Have you noticed that when you read Paul? You don't really get that in the Gospels. But when you read Paul, it, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of emphasis the, the, in, in all of his writings, okay? Nor had he gone up to Jerusalem to see those men who were apostles before him, but instead he went into Arabia, verse 17. And here are those two verses for you. Uh, I was pleased to, God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, I would also make the case that 
in 2 Corinthians, and I can't remember the chapter off the top of my head, but, but when Paul says he was caught up to the third heaven, remember when he says that in 2 Corinthians? When he was caught up to the third heaven, there's two theories on, on when that was. One of them was when he almost died outside of Lystra when he was stoned to death and he got up and walked, walked away. Remember that? Remember that account? The other one would be here, that when those three years he was in Arabia, when, when the resurrected Christ was somehow... I don't know what word to use, communing with him, communicating with it, whatever, that, that, he, that he was, that was when he was caught up to the third heaven and that's when he got those visions and the revelations and God gave him his thorn and, and all that, okay? We're going deep tonight, are y'all okay? All right. <clears throat> After three years, so he's in Arabia for how long? Okay, so, so track. So he gets put, God makes him eat dirt on the, on the road to Damascus. Then he goes and Ananias lays hands on him and then he gets transported to Arabia and he's in Arabia for three years. So after three years, he went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and to stay with him 15 days. And he didn't see any of the other apostles except James. And which James is that? James, the half-brother of Jesus, most likely, yes. So the purpose here in this first chapter is to show that the gospel which he preached was genuine as to its origin because it did not come from who? man, but was a direct revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you what, this is extremely important because still today, my beloved brothers and sisters, still today, you will find circles, and I would go so far as to say some of them are orthodox believers who do not, do not take Paul's words equal to Jesus. But I'm telling you right now, this is either true or it's not, and I believe it's true. And so Paul's revelation, what Paul got and what he teaches is completely equal with what Christ brought us in the Gospels. And that's where you need to be on this, okay? Because if you, if you, give, if you give away anything away from Paul, we lose a lot. Paul is one of the only ones that makes a case, a case in Romans, a systematic theological case that sin started with who? yes. The first man brought sin and death. The last Adam brought life. The man from earth brought sin and death. The man from heaven brought life. The man from earth is Adam. The man from heaven is Jesus. So we start messing around with Paul and saying that, that Paul is not equal with Jesus or his word. And I don't mean like salvation. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about the word and the truth that he teaches is not equal with Jesus. And we, we got big problems. Let me be sure I clarified that. I'm not saying that Jesus is, is divine like Paul is. I'm saying that his word and what, what, he, what he taught and what he got from Jesus has equal authority. That's a better way to say it, okay? All right. Yes? Is, is this book from Paul written at the time that Paul wrote this? Yes. Yes. Galatians, yes. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which were probably penned in the 3rd or 4th century. It's, the timing of all that, I'm an expert on that, but uh, every, everything you're reading was written in the first century. Everything. Yes. All first century. And all written by him. Yes. The, 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 in fact, he says in this letter, written by his own. Yeah, the only, the only one that we're not real sure who wrote is Hebrews. We're not real sure who wrote that. And there are critical circles that will say 2 Timothy is too developed for it to have been it was, was too, develop, too developed ecclesiologically to be Paul. I don't think there's any evidence for that. I just don't. So, <clears throat> all right, so let's keep going here. In chapter two, Paul went to Jerusalem along with Barnabas and Titus. It had been 14 years since his first visit to Jerusalem. He took Barnabas and Titus, and there they had an understanding between him and those present. 
Their understanding dealt with the central doctrine of salvation, solely and wholly by what? Right. So that when Peter and the others on a later occasion in Antioch lapsed into Judaistic behavior, Paul rebuked him on the very basis of that common understanding. So this is a big, big deal. Salvation by faith is, is huge. Yo. Period before the uh, Echelon, whatever you Jerusalem know, Council? Yes. Yes. It's before. Yes. Yes. Peter had the revelation uh, from Cornelius. I'm not sure the time of that, Jim. I would think that Acts 10 probably came, probably came before that or very close. I'm not really sure. I'll, I'll have to look at the timeline. So Peter should have known better. Oh, of course. Of course he should have known better. Of course. Yeah. All right, here then we find in these two chapters the basic identity of the gospel preached by Paul, Peter, and the other apostles. Of special attention is the fact that Paul silently rebukes Peter for allowing the Judaizers to pressure him into withdrawing from all Gentile believers upon the arrival of some influential Jews from Jerusalem. This indeed is difficult for the church of Rome to interpret because Paul, a tent maker, was rebuking Peter who was supposed to be the what? Do y'all follow what he's saying there? I mean, it's kind of comical what he's pointing out. Did y'all catch that? What he's saying is, is that how, how, how comical is it that Paul, the apostle that, that, that people antagonized and said wasn't, wasn't really an apostle and all this apostolic defense he has to do, that he was a tent maker, but yet he was the one that was the better theologian than the one who was supposed to be the who? The first pope. Right. I mean, Peter was considered the prince of the apostles. <clears throat> Note chapter 2, verse 20, and underline in your Bible, I have been crucified. This is one of Colton's favorite verses. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul expresses an attitude of sheer surprise here because he speaks as though it is incredible to him that anyone should be able to turn back from the glorious liberty and the wonderful gospel to the bondage of legalism. You know, I can share that bewilderment. Um, I remember when I really got saved, because I, 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 y'all know my story, I'd kind of, I mean, our family, we, we grew up in church, but, but we never really had faith in our home. So, I mean, we, we, we would get up on Sunday, we would go to church, we would go through the worship and all that kind of stuff, but it wasn't until much later, when I was 26 years old, that, that I really came under deep conviction uh, of, my, of my sins and cried out to the Lord and really got saved. And so, for me, I mean, I, I literally went from darkness to light inside of a couple of months in the summertime in 1997, and I mean, I'm not going to say I haven't sinned since then because, I mean, if I say that, John says I'm a liar. I mean, I've obviously sinned since then, but my life has been night and day different from that time to now. And for me, it's, it's I mean, I really can't understand what he means by this. I am astonished. I mean, it's just like, how, how can you say, how can you say that you've met Christ, that you know Jesus, that you're saved, but then walk away from the church 
it, it, it just amazes me. And I know there's imperfect people in the church. Y'all know my story. I have, been, I have been treated more ugly and more viciously in life by Baptists than any other people group on earth. But I would never walk away from God's church because of a few sinful human beings. You know what I mean? I wouldn't. And so, and especially not for, for some ceremonies and for some legalism, I wouldn't do that either. I mean, to turn from the gospel of grace back to a gospel of, or to a false gospel of law, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So his first words are, O foolish Galatians, who did bewitch you? As though he could only contribute what had happened to some strange hypnotic spell. You will find that word foolish again in verse three. So all through, sorry about that. So all through these two chapters, Paul is showing the superiority of the gospel over Judaism. Faith over works, chapter three, verse two. Spirit over flesh, verse three. Being justified over being held by law. Being blessed over being cursed. The promise in Abraham over the command through Moses and the Abrahamic covenant over the Mosaic. Y'all tracking with me okay here? Okay. One of the most important lessons for all believers today is to understand Paul's legal illustration beginning in chapter three, verse six. So why don't we go there? Chapter three, verse six. I gotta put my glasses on for this one. Okay. Oh, foolish Galatians, we'll slide on down to verse four. Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now what is so, what is so, what's the word I'm looking for? Y'all help me. What is so radical and so incredible about that statement that he just said? And why is it pointed out so clearly here by Dr. Constable? Just as Abraham believed God and was kind of him as righteousness. Let's go to Tony, then I'll come to you. That's faith. Abraham was given faith before law ever existed. Exactly. Exactly means, right. Which means Jesus Christ dying on the cross is a fulfillment of, Ab- of, the, of the promise that Abraham received from God. Right. So the whole, the whole, the whole issue that, that Paul is dealing with, with the Galatians, the Galatians are so focused on the law, 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 that they had lost sight of what covenant from centuries before, Abrahamic promise. So to them, I, I don't know what, I mean, I know they still believe that Abraham was their father and all that, but somehow, somehow in all those hundreds of years of interpretation, they had completely gotten off course on the truth of, of what, what God was trying to teach them. And so Paul, to try to, to shake, kind of shake these Judaizers out of it, he says, he says, look, salvation doesn't come through the law and come through circumcision, because Abraham had, was saved, Abraham, it was counted to Abraham righteousness before he ever had circumcision and the law. You see what he's saying? So he goes back in their own history and points out what they should know. That's why it's so important to know the word of God. So Abraham received his righteousness by what? Faith in God long before 
the law was given. So God told Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, <clears throat> that Gentiles would also receive the righteousness by faith. And what had the Jews done to the Gentiles at this particular time in history? Did the Jews love or hate Gentiles? Hated them, why? Unclean. But what, now we're, we're in the time of Christ. What had happened, what happened back in the Old Testament during the inter- intertestamental period? What happened right before the intertestamental period? What did the Babylonians do to the Jews? Destroyed them. Destroyed the temple. Carried them off for how many years? 70 years into exile. So they did not have the best idea about Gentiles. Now, now I think part of the purpose of the Jewish people being taken off into uh, Babylonia was obviously they would intermarry with some Babylonians. And I mean, you would see some of that culture you know, kind of rub off on them and stuff. So that there, there's purpose behind all that. But, but, they, but they completely dropped the ball in taking Yahweh to the Gentiles. And the point that he's making is, is that was a promise of God from a long time ago, a long time ago. I mean, what did he say? I will make from you, Abraham, I will turn you into what? Great nation, right? Nation, then that term is Gentile. That term is Gentile. Now, now it was Israel, <clears throat> but, but the Gentiles were, ne- were never outside of it. That was, a, that was a mistake that Israel made. Yes? I, 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 I got to thank him. You know, he believed God. That's not just a word. He had to demonstrate that thing. That's right. He took off, didn't know where he was going. The knife was child. That's right. Well, then you got this real stuff. not just words. Exactly. Yeah, the, the term, Dick, I think that you're hinting to today, the term that is used <clears throat> in a lot of circles is easy believism. I think it was John MacArthur that, 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 that coined that term back probably 25 or 30 years ago. <clears throat> there was this uh, lordship salvation uh, teaching that was going around that said that you can be saved but not make Jesus the Lord of your life. And we're like, no, if you're saved... Jesus is the Lord of your life. I mean, there's not, there's not two separate things there. I mean, if you are saved, the definition of being saved is that Jesus is Lord of your life. And so he came up with the idea that, that, that one of the gross misinterpretations of the gospel in, in, in American Christianity was this idea of easy believism. Oh, if you'll just walk the aisle and pray the prayer, you're saved, right? Well, I mean, how many times have we seen that fall to pieces and not work? I mean, because it's not real. I'm not saying that, you, that, that some people didn't get saved that way. I'm sure they did. But, but I think that we lost sight of, the, of the, uh, the parable of the sower. And Jesus, that was his parable. That was his keystone parable that is all through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and even in Acts. And he says that there's four responses to the gospel, right? Four responses. There's either a hard heart, a rocky heart, a thorny heart, or what? Good soul, right? So three of those three of those need to be watched very carefully, would you say? So if somebody comes here and they're all excited about the gospel, they make a profession of faith and they join the church, and then six months later, you can't find them? You need to go after them guns blazing because chances are they didn't really get saved. I mean, you should not have to, and of course, this is, you could come after me and debate this all day long, but you should not have to badger, badger and antagonize professing Christians to be involved in the church. I'm sorry. 
They, they should know they're supposed to be here. I mean, when I got saved, nobody had to tell me to go to Sunday school. Nobody had to tell me to come to AM worship. Nobody had to tell me to come to PM worship. I was there because I wanted to be with God's people and under the preaching of the word. Now, I'm not saying I'm any kind of perfect Christian, but I knew that basic information. I knew that I needed to be there. That if I was going to make it and I was going to be faithful and I was going to be useful to the kingdom of God, I had to be discipled, I had to be praying, I had to be worshiping, I had to be reading the Bible. And I mean, that wasn't going on anywhere else that I knew of but inside the church. So that's why I was there. So, all right, sermon over. (laughs) This statement is taken from Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. <clears throat> and is used here as well as Romans 1.17 and Hebrews 10.38. And the, and the term we're talking about is um, the righteous shall live by faith. Hang on a second, let me go back up there for y'all. Yeah, the righteous shall live by what? Faith. Now, <clears throat> I love the fact that, that, the, that, uh, that, that the Spirit used Habakkuk in this because the context of Habakkuk is... Very difficult. Habakkuk is basically the theme of Habakkuk. Uh, shooting from the hip here, but he is questioning God and asking why God would, would allow wicked Gentile Babylonians to punish God's people. And the basic answer that God gives him is what? <laughs> That's right. But the answer is it doesn't matter, Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by, yeah. So in other words, it doesn't matter if you're being attacked by Babylonia. It doesn't matter if you're sick with COVID. It doesn't matter if your marriage is struggling. It doesn't matter if you're being persecuted at work. It doesn't matter what the scenario is. The righteous live how? Period. That's the answer. How do I handle this? The righteous live by faith. Live by faith. Hebrews says, without faith it is what? Impossible to please God. Now that seems like simple church talk. Well, that's easy to say, preachers. You know, easier said than done. It it is. But I can tell you, speaking from experience, that, I mean, I've clung to faith from day one and things are not perfect in my life, but we're hanging in there. We're hanging in there. There, there's, there's days that I think about doing very evil things to people, but I don't ever do it. Amen? I mean, I don't. I, I don't do it, you know? Go, go, go ahead, Brandon. And you ask God to forgive you. Yeah, of course I do. Well, I think it's supposed to be that way because we ain't supposed to get cozy in somewhere that ain't, ain't home. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So the righteous shall live by faith. So in verse 10, we're told that if the Old Testament law is broken at all, okay, so just... just and Old Testament law, just whenever you hear that, just think 10 commandments, it'll just simplify everything for you. But in verse 10, we're told that if the Old Testament law is broken, cursed is everyone that doesn't continue in all things which are written in the law. The entire law is broken. James probably sums it up the best in, in, that, in, that, in his letter. But what that basically means is if you're gonna live by the law, can you just obey the first three commandments? What do you have to do? Perfectly every day of your life, every second of your life. All 10, and there's only one that did that, and what's his name? Jesus. Jesus. Right. All right, the law was given to Israel 430 years after the promise. Justification by faith was given. 
We studied this period of time back in, the study, back in the study of Genesis, and you will recall from the study that the 430 years is the time from God's confirmation of his promise to Jacob until the giving of the law at Sinai. So his confirmation of the promise to Jacob is the same as it was to Abraham, and then the giving of the law at Sinai. The giving of the law <clears throat> was an insertion given because of sin. It was added because of sin or transgression. It was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator, Galatians 3.19. Now, th- this, is, this, is part of, this is part of theology that is always challenging to me. Um, and, and I don't know about you, but whenever I come across in something in Scripture that I don't completely understand, I immediately know who's, whose problem is that. Is it mine or God's? It's mine, Exactly. So I don't, and, and, that, that, and to me, that is the difference between a, a humble believer that allows God to be in charge, and maybe I wouldn't go so far to say a false convert, but, but somebody who has issues with God and issues with the scripture. I'm okay with not understanding everything this Bible says. Are y'all? I mean, I'm okay with that, you know? I, I mean, I, I, there are answers that I want that I don't get sometimes, but, but the righteous shall live by what? But, but at the end of the day, I know that I've just, I, I believe God, I believe the word of God, I believe in Jesus, and I'm gonna live by faith no matter what happens anyway, even if I don't get the answer that I want, even if I don't understand exactly what the text is, is telling me, I accept it on faith with, with, with the hope and the anticipation that in time, if I continue to read the Bible, I continue to pray that eventually God will illuminate my heart and my mind to understanding what he's trying to say. How many of y'all have ever been through something and you had no idea, you wanted to shake your fist at heaven, you had no idea it was going, you didn't feel like you deserved it, you didn't understand it, this horrible thing happens or this challenging thing happens and then a year later you look back and you're like, oh, now I know what God was doing. You ever been there? That, that's kind of how that's kind of how how this is for me with the word because you know the 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 law and the covenant and Sinai it, it's all of that is it's just not that easy uh, for 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 human beings to understand all this I just trust God's word all right so it thus acted as Israel's schoolmaster because the law was our schoolmaster to bring us into Christ so the law in a sense should shock us into a sense of our need of Christ that we might be justified by faith in him. I, I heard, I want to say maybe it was R.C. Sproul one time or, or I, I can't remember who it was. I think it was him. He used to, he used to do, I used to drive back and forth to, um, uh, Angie and I, when we first got married, moved to Fort Worth. We lived in Richardson and so I had to drive 45 minutes to seminary every day and there was this radio station that played all the, 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 the great theologians uh, at the time, Erwin Lutzer, R.C. Sproul, they ran, they ran um, uh, gosh, the, the great preacher at Bellevue in Memphis for years, um, Adrian Rogers, all those guys. And whoever it was that day said that <clears throat> the law chases you to Calvary and then after you're saved and you're living, your life experience will run you back toward the law. So it's like us as Christians, now, now law meaning not, not, looking for, not looking for salvation there, okay, but, but the law continues even while we're alive to be a what? A schoolmaster, a reminder. We know we're saved by faith. We know we're forgiven of our sins, but we live in a fallen, carnal world and 
the secular sources aren't helping us at all. Can you amen that? You can't trust anything the government says nowadays about spirit. You can't trust anything they teach our kids. And so we almost need the law as a signpost to remind us, hey, this is wrong. I mean, we've got the spirit in our hearts that, that bears witness to that, but it also helps to be able to read it and feel it occasionally, the burn of the law. That, that, it helps me, it does. So that's kind of what, kind of what he's saying. So the law shocks us into a sense of our need of Christ. And with me, it was literally the law. It was the state of Mississippi that shocked me into my need for Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so the giving of the law did not override the Abrahamic promises is what Paul's saying here. So that promise still lives, still lives. And the law comes and the promise is still right there. So the law is just placed on top of the, of the promise, waiting right there, as he, as he says in here, like, uh, to, like the time when a... Uh, when a guardian is over someone that's too young to inherit the estate, and then when that person gets to the right age to inherit the estate, then they inherit the estate. <clears throat> so the chapter closes with a special emphasis. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's what? What does that mean? What does it mean to be Abraham's seed? Abraham's offspring, right? So his offspring was Isaac, right? The child of promise, but that's also, if you go all the way back to the, to the beginning of the Abrahamic promise, he was promised a what? A nation like sands of the sea. So the seed is Jesus, but it's also pointing beyond Jesus to who? Us, exactly, us. The first fruits, he also, would, Paul would call us the first fruits, like Christ was the first fruit, but we are also first fruits in him. So notice especially verses 27, 28 of chapter three, Christ unified all repenting sinners in his body because there is now neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. That is one of the most confounding scriptures in the Bible, incredible. All right, in chapter four, Paul continued <clears throat> what he began in chapter three. He guarantees our full adoption as sons of God in verses one through seven. You will notice in verses six and seven that we enter into the privileges of adult sonship in a real spiritual sense because God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. Therefore, we are no longer servants, but sons. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I mean, this intimate vocabulary, this intimate vocabulary is just... I mean, imagine how, like not everybody had a good experience with their fathers, so that's not always the best example to use, but, but it should be because fathers are meant to be our closest protector and, and provider. But just pretend for argument's sake that your father was a very godly, protective, providing father. Well, whatever he was to you, Jesus is thousands and thousands and thousands times that. That's the intimacy of the relationship that we have in him. I mean, the intimacy of the relationship we have with him is that we are now his child, literally his child, that he loves us, he disciplines us for our, for our good, he blesses us, he is preparing a place for us. I mean, he takes us all the way through our life and then through all eternity. I mean, that, that's, that's the fatherly love um, I mean, and, that, and that's the, the, the role of father is created by God to reflect that. Uh, of course, we're in a fallen world and it's not perfect, but, but, but you see the, the illustration. So notice especially verses four and five because here we find these two verses explaining how we are redeemed from under the law. 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And according to Luke, our current series, when was the fullness of time? Who was the emperor at the time? Caesar Augustus, yes, Caesar Augustus. And who was the governor of Syria? Quirinius, yes. And that was when, and and then what was happening, uh, Jesus called an individual that was very controversial right after he called some fishermen. Who was that? He wrote a gospel. Matthew, Levi the tax collector. And what tax collecting, okay, so what was the whole purpose of the census and why Joseph and Mary had to go to, had to go to Bethlehem? Taxes. I mean, I mean, is that not just amazing how all, so, but when the fullness of time had come, the fullness of time, Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, taxation, Bethlehem, all the promises beginning to converge in the birth, the announcement, the birth of Christ. 33 years later, his crucifixion on Calvary's cross and the promises coming to fulfillment in Jesus. It's great stuff. Yes. Back, and this is not a question, but I was raised Pentecostal. Oh, okay. And my sister still keeps the food laws. Wow. And she, you know, I know, I think it was Paul that said not to eat something if it's going to offend your brother. Was that Paul? Yes. So when she would come to visit me, we couldn't have anything (laughs) that was down there. Yeah. In the Bible, but she still keeps them. Yeah. And I tried to, but I stood <laughs> There's a lot of people that still do. And what Paul would say about that is, is that, uh, you know, if she's truly a believer, the person's truly a believer and they want to follow the food laws, as long as they understand that she doesn't have to keep those food laws to please God, she, she can do it as much as she wants. That, that, that's where the danger comes in. That's where that legalism comes in, is the idea that I, that, I, that, that I have to, for God to be happy with me, you know, we've got to sing four hymns and then have an offering and then have a message. Does God care what order that's done in? Does not care at all. Do, that's the freedom we have in Jesus, okay? I can remember when these things came out 20 years ago. I, I thought people were going to die. They were ready to, to fight each other over screens in churches. I will never forget hearing my grandmother talk about that. They're wanting to put screens in our church. And I said, well, Mimi, don't you watch TV every night? And I mean, I wasn't trying to be smart. It just came out. It just came out. And she looked at me and she went, yes. And I said, okay, it's just a screen. I mean, let's not fight over the fact, because, you know, immediately people think, well, it's worshiping an image and it's, it's all this other stuff. And I'm like, well, I mean, I mean, I guess that, I mean, somebody could, you know, trip into that sin, I guess. But, I mean, it's just a screen for words and for making, helping people be able to see the preacher in churches that are real big or helping them be able to, maybe people with bad eyesight that can't look at a hymnal, they can look up at the screen. I said, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. But I mean, I'm telling you, there, there were churches that split over that issue. Do y'all remember that? Back 25, 30 years ago? You know what the other one was? Doing away with the hymnals. Uh, I mean, that, that was huge. First Baptist Greenville, I, I thought they were gonna have a conniption fit, doing away with the hymnals and, and going to the screens. That, that's the kind of legalism that tears churches apart. It's, 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 it's senseless. It, it really is. So, 
All right, <clears throat> but when the fullness of time, we, we did that. Let me move on here. What time is it? Okay, we need to, we need to call it a night. We'll, we'll pick up here uh, on Paul's allegorical illustration. We'll pick up on that next week. And if you have questions, just, just you know, bring them next week and we'll talk about them um, for sure. All right, prayers, 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 prayers. Let me have a shot of water here. My voice is dying on me. Some of y'all are saying amen. Uh, all right. Okay, some announcements. First of all, um, we had about six people that showed up and went down there and handed out Bibles uh, earlier this evening, and y'all handed out about 30 Bibles, so let's, let's give it up for that ministry. That was fantastic. <clears throat> Mark and our men's ministry came up with that. That's wonderful to get the Word of God out there. I think the rain came, and can't, you can't hand out paper Bibles in the rain. It just didn't work, so they will, but we'll be reconvening that. Uh, reorganizing that. Don't forget, this weekend is Creation Ministries International. If you have never seen this before, you are in for a real treat. I mean, this is, the the way they present this is such a help. It will equip you. uh, If you have people in your life that are more evolutionary in their thinking, uh, and they use that to attack the scripture and attack creation, this will literally equip you. This will give you things to say, scriptures to go to, and help you not to argue from a mean-spirited, uh, you know, superior position, but a loving, caring gospel witness to those that are enslaved in false doctrine. Okay, so be here. Nine o'clock, uh, nine o'clock, we have Sunday school in here. It'll be, so all the Sunday school classes, I think, except for certain children's classes, will all be in here. So don't go to your Sunday school classes. Come in here and just make yourself comfortable, and we'll give Keaton that whole hour. When he's done uh, at 10 o'clock, we'll take a 15-minute break, then come back in here at 10.15. Uh, we'll just have one, I think, one song before, one song at the end, and Keaton will have the whole hour uh, to basically teach us uh, from, from the word on, on, uh, on creation instead of evolution. It's gonna be really good. Do not forget the, um, the Golden State offering uh, is pretty much collected all year, but one specific week is from this Sunday the 12th till next Sunday the 19th. Our goal is $2,000. We should easily be, be able to come up with that. Uh, but pick one of these up if you'd like to give to that. Now, let me tell you about the Golden State offering. <clears throat> there are two Southern Baptists, if you're not, if you're not familiar with this. Uh, who, can, who can tell me the Southern Baptist offerings? Okay, a lot of you mean, which one is that? Christmas. So every year, and we named our dog Lottie. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. The little dog we got named Lottie. Um, just, I guess, just to remind us to give the offering every year. I don't know. But, um, but, but Lottie Moon was a missionary to the, to the Chinese, and uh, she sacrificed her own life to feed them and to take the gospel to them. So that's every Christmas. Then at Easter time, who knows what we have? Annie Armstrong. Okay, and that, that is for domestic missions uh, in the United States. So Lottie Moon is international missions. Uh, uh, Annie Armstrong is domestic missions. The Golden State offering is specifically for Tennessee, okay? So any, any and all Baptist uh, involvement in the state of Tennessee is all funded by that offering. <clears throat> so that offering really should be, you know, one of our more, you know, one of our more committed offerings because it's right here in our own state. I mean, because... Y'all know how the, the rings of mission go, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Well, guess what? If you don't take care of Jerusalem, you're not going to be able to go to the ends of the earth and Judea and Samaria. So uh, remember that. All right, prayer requests. And let's start over here first. Yes. Yes. 914, Miss Cecilia. 
Gotcha, brother. We'll be praying for her. We know this hopefully will be a big a big moment in her life. Yes. Turner. Friday morning. Okay. Who else over here? Anybody? Yes, Walter. Uh, remember, Martha, she's still having a lot of pain. Correct? We had. We'll be sure to remember her. Thank you. All right, this side. Gina Moss. Gina Moss. Gina Moss. She's in St. Thomas Road. Okay. Anybody else? Going once, going twice. Okay, let's see if I need to mention anybody else to you on this list here. Yes, Colton's new baby, and that would be Owen. Owen Ezer, yes. Owen Nathaniel. Owen Nathaniel. Let's see. Yeah, I think, I think most of the rest of them, everybody should be familiar with, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, all the rest of them are on this, are on this sheet for you. Um, other announcements right quick before we pray. <clears throat> uh, as far as I know, there have been no additional uh, COVID infections that I've heard of. Have anybody else heard of any? Uh, because the COVID infections that we had like two or three weeks ago have now all dropped off. And so now we're, we're back down to, I think, two maybe something like that. So uh, Bob and Beverly Carmack are still struggling. So remember them. I, I, I checked on them today and uh, uh, Beverly did not sound good. They had an infusion. They're getting better, but they're going on like 17 days, I think, of being down. So, so they, need, they need prayer. Let's see. Uh, don't forget uh, Discover Parkway on the 19th. If you know somebody that, uh, you, that you want to come to that, be sure and get that to us so we can uh, get them down. I think right now it's looking like we've got about 12, I think, that are coming to go through that with us. So if you know somebody else, let me know. All right, anything else before I pray? Okay, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, you have heard uh, tonight the, uh, the request from our brothers and sisters here this evening. And Lord, we ask your provision and your hand, your healing hand to be upon each one of them. Lord, I know we're coming to the end of summer and coming into the, into the fall and Lord, I just pray that, that uh, this, this COVID does not continue to, to spread and to thrive like it suddenly has since the 4th of July. It just seemed like it exploded everywhere um, the week after the 4th of July. So Father, we, we pray for the families that, that have suffered loss and that uh, those that are still sick even tonight. Uh, Lord, we pray for for uh, anyone having surgery, those that have been mentioned tonight having surgery, medical procedures over the next several days, that you would put your divine grace and knowledge and wisdom into the minds and hands of those that will be working on them and doing these surgeries, doing these medical procedures. Uh, Father, we pray for our leadership and this season of nominating committee and deacons and uh, just, just, just the, the big transition over the next several months coming into the new year. We will have deacons rolling off, deacons rolling on. We'll have leaders um, 
being replaced on all types of different committees and areas of service. Father, I pray that all that would go smoothly and that we, so we can continue to do ministry to those that are in our flock and beyond. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of serving this church, the privilege of my family being here and the love we've been shown and the love this church has shown our staff and how you've added to our number, Lord, in uncertain times over the past two years. And we're just so thankful. So Father, I pray that you go with us tonight, help us get a good night's sleep this evening, wake up tomorrow morning refreshed and help us as we have opportunity to speak life, grace, mercy into those that you put in our path. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your attention. Good night, live feed. Wave at the live feed, everybody. Good night, good night, good night, good night, good night. Galatians part two next week.